Thank you, Dan and choir and students and instrumentalists for leading us so beautifully in worship today. Turn in your copy of God's Word to the Psalm 120, the 120th song in the Psalter. I cried unto the Lord. Imagine how the Hebrew pilgrims felt. See them now as they leave their routine of daily life and they begin their journey, a journey from their town and villages and farms and cities. They are going up. They are traveling to the holy city. They are going to Jerusalem. They're going to worship. The 15 Psalms that begin in Psalm 120 and go through Psalm 134 are called the Psalms of Ascent because they are ascending to Jerusalem as they sing these songs. They are songs for the journey. They are songs for the road. They are songs sung by the pilgrims as they make their way up to the worship of God. Really, Psalm 120 through 134 is just an old dog-eared songbook. It was used so much. In fact, perhaps they actually sang them in sequence. How you can see as you look at these psalms, they begin with Psalm 120. They sing their way as they travel Jerusalem to 134. They start all over again with 120 like a, a playlist going over and over again. Since Jerusalem is the highest city geographically of all of Palestine, indeed they are making their way up, journeying up. They are ascending, but the ascension is more than just physical. It is also a metaphor for spiritually ascending. Going from one stage to the next stage as you journey your way in maturity of following Yahweh the journey of discipleship. In fact, Paul might call it this way in Philippians 3, 4, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are always called upward in Scripture, aren't we? Yes, three times a year these faithful Jews made the journey all the way to Jerusalem. These people who have been saved by God's exodus, whose identity is found in Mount Sinai when they received the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. They climbed regularly these three times. In the spring, they, they went for Passover, which reminded them of being called out from Egypt, how the death angel had passed over their doors and spared their firstborn, how God had been their liberator through Moses. And then they renewed their commitments as, as God's covenant people at the Feast of Pentecost in early summer. And then finally, by autumn time, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. They responded as a blessed community that received God's very best. They are a redeemed people. They are a commanded people. They are a blessed people. And do you know in Luke chapter 2, we learn that even Jesus made this ascension, this journey to Jerusalem as a boy. Luke 2, 41, Jesus the lad went up to Jerusalem for the annual feast. So these songs sung in Psalm 120 and forward were probably sung by our Lord himself, even as a lad, as he made his way up to Jerusalem 
for the festival, for the feast. There are no better songs than these songs. These are songs for the road. These songs represent that in-between time when you have leave home, but you're not yet where your destination, your arrival destination is. When you have begun the journey as being part of the people of God, but you're not yet fully arrived in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like that time in the air for the trapeze artist when he leaps and he leaves one bar of security and he stretches and he leans and he longs for the next. It's that interval time, the journey to Jerusalem. It's the time when you sing the songs of ascent. It's, it's a time of danger. It's a, a time of expectation. It's a time of uncertainty. It's a time of excitement. It's in a time of extraordinary aliveness for these ancient Israelites. In fact, Isaiah recalls that they sang these songs. In Isaiah 2.3, he says about the pilgrim going up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, who may there teach us his ways. And when we get there in Jerusalem, we will learn to walk in his paths. Or Isaiah again says in Isaiah 30.29, you shall have a song as in the night when the holy feast is kept and gladness of heart when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord to the rock of Israel. Isaiah is saying when the flautist begins the tune, when you hear the first note, get ready to march to Zion, to journey, to ascend to Jerusalem you'll find the mountain of the Lord, the rock of Israel. Eugene Peterson has said, one aspect in the world today that is harmful for the Christian journey or ascension is the assumption that everything that is worthwhile can be done at once. Our attention spans have been dumbed down to about a 30-second commercial. We can't really, or 10-minute TED Talk is really maxing us out when we get to that. We want novels that are bridged into about a one-hour drive so we can listen to the, the summary version or 300 pages of a book dumbed down to the 30-page abridgment. In a culture like that, it is not very hard to get people interested in the gospel, but it is very hard to keep them focused and sustained on the gospel. Many people claim to make a decision to follow Christ, to climb that hill to Jerusalem. But, well, let's admit it, there is a dreadful attrition rate, isn't there? While so many claim to have that personal relationship with Christ, the evidence of church discipleship is sometimes awfully slim. We have to be careful not to plan our discipleship around the next book by a popular Christian writer or the next retreat or conference. That's the life of a tourist. That's not the life of a pilgrim. We are called to be pilgrims, steadfast, unwavering, journeying in our worship to Jerusalem. We want to join those pilgrims, don't we, as they ascend the hill, the holy hill, as they've made their journey of faith. What we really need is a long obedience in the same direction. We're pilgrims. That's really who we are 
isn't it? This world, though we don't act like it sometimes, this world is not our home. We, like Abraham, have set out to a new place because we are called by God to be a new people. In fact, Thomas says to Jesus, I don't know the way. I don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, follow me, Thomas. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. It is here in Psalm 120 that we begin to ascend to that city of worship. It is here that we find ourselves like the trapeze artist reaching out as we sing, having left security and searching for the next. Well, two things I want you to see about this song. First of all, as we begin the journey, the psalmist is concerned with honesty. As we begin the journey, the psalmist is concerned with honesty. Look at the first four verses. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? God's speaking now. And what more shall be done to you? You deceitful tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior, and the burning coals of the broom tree. The psalmist is faced with lying lips and a deceitful tongue. And, and rather than perpetuating and participating and enjoying the lies and deceit in the world around him, he says, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. He answered me. When we face adversity, we have options, don't we? We can worry our, ourselves sick. We can complain to God about it all. We can seek to manipulate the situation, or we can be driven to our knees in prayer. For this psalmist, the stress works well for him. He doesn't try to manipulate. He doesn't complain. He is driven to his knees, and that's the place to begin our journey of worship. Deliver my soul, O Lord. Look at the first words. Deliver me in my trouble. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me, deliver my soul. That word deliver in Hebrew is a word that is used for taking prey out of an animal's mouth the moment before he gobbles it down. Deliver me. Now, you remember last summer, not this one for sure, we had a lot of rain. And I had a lot of frog friends in my backyard, and we became well acquainted every evening when I was watering the pots, and they would come out at night, and they would eat the mosquitoes and the bugs. It was a reciprocal relationship, me and the frogs, and it was all going well until in the daytime, I was trimming deadheading rose bushes, and I looked, and I saw a snake. And the snake, it was a pretty big snake. It wasn't making any rattling noise, so I thought I might be okay. It was a long snake. As I looked at the snake's head, he had one of my frog friends in his mouth. I mean, it was three-quarters of the frog was being engulfed by the snake. Just his little mouth and one eye and one arm was trying to reach out of this snake. It, it was pitiful. And I, I had a decision to make. And I, I know I'm not advising for you to interfere with the process of nature. But, you know, I did not have a relationship with a snake. I did have a relationship with a frog. So I went to get my friend the hoe. And I, I aimed perfectly at the base of the head of the snake and chop. 
And the snake's head just quivered, unattached to the body, and the frog just stood there, and, and it didn't move for about five minutes. And then slowly he crawled out and just sat there and blinked. <laughs> he was never the same again. <laughs> the next day he built me a little altar, and I appreciate it. <laughs> All of that's true except the altar. All that. In fact, I have pictures. I came close to showing them, but I thought then this would be a PG-13 kind of sermon for the blood and gore of the snake. And so, but if somebody doesn't believe it, I've got the pictures, and all but the altar is true. Look at that. Look at those words again. Maybe you see them differently. Deliver my soul. I'm the frog three-quarters of the way down the head of the snake. One more muscular contraction by the snake, and I am done for. The frog thought it was all over. But he had a deliverer. Deliver me, O Lord. Deliver me from those who have deceitful tongues. He wants to get away from his culture, everything his culture has to offer. Before anyone begins a real journey in Christ, we really have to be disgusted the way things are in this world. That is the only thing that will motivate us to set out on a journey ascending, singing to Jerusalem. We have to be honest with ourselves this morning. The next election doesn't really make any difference. As long as we think the next election, that guy will eliminate crime, then, then we are confused. Or the next political party won't be made up of those who lie. A new party should ascend. Well, they'll be liars too. And if we think in our mind that the next scientific breakthrough will heal our environment or that that next 2% or 3% pay raise that I receive will upright the ship financially. As long as we're kind of hoping in this world for the next person, the next thing, the next party, the next payment then we're not ready for the world of grace. The psalmist is done with this culture. He is finished with his evil tongues. Here in Psalm 120 is a pilgrim on a journey to Jerusalem who is sick and tired of the lies and the deceits of this culture. Now, the psalm is not pretty. You're kind of starting off your journey with a a rough song. It begins with, in my distress or in my trouble. And look at the last words of the song, for war. In my distress, in my trouble. And you end with, for, for war. It's, it's a hard word. It's not really a happy song. But it's an honest song, isn't it? Yes, that's the beginning of the Christian journey when we realize that we are surrounded by liars and we are drowning in their lies. Deliver me, O Lord, like the prey about to be engulfed from the lying lips and deceitful tongues, the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire, from the lies of entertainers who give me shallow joy, from the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me 
and morality, from the lives of psychologists who offer to reshape my behavior so that I can be happy and successful, from the lives of religionists who heal the wounds of God's people lightly, from the lives of preachers who get up and now tickle the ears of men and do not proclaim, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Deliver me, O Lord. I was sharing the gospel with a second grader when I shared the gospel with the kids. Christ down the cross for my sins. Okay, you can say that. That's good. Now let's talk about what a sin is. Now, we have sort of raised a generation of kids who do not know the vocabulary of the word sin because we tell them they're making bad choices or they're making mistakes and we don't use the word sin. That seems really harsh for our day and so we don't use the word. Well, you, 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 don't, you can't have a savior until you understand sin and that you're a sinner. And so I work with children and I ask them, uh, give me some examples of a sin. Show me you know what a sin is. What does it look like to live your way and not God's way? Well, a girl said, her, her example of sin was lying. And I said, well, that's, that's a good example. Lying is certainly. I said, I, that, I appreciate that one. Now, now give me another one. And she said, well, sin is when you don't tell the truth. Sin is when you don't tell the truth. And no matter how many times I circled around with the question for this little second grade girl, sin was lying. At the end, she might have been the better theologian in the room. For Satan is the father of lies. And the first sin evoked all starts when Satan says, if you eat that fruit from the tree, you will be like God when he knew they would surely die. All sin finds its roots in lying lips and deceitful tongues. Father, get me away from the liars, he's saying. Let me hear the truth, the truth that you love me, and the truth that you love the person seated beside me, and the truth that our problems are because we live in a broken world that we, the sinners, have broken and distorted your creation, which cries out for redemption. The truth that we are sinners the center of our lives and our history must be the center of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins and raised from the tomb for our salvation. We participate in new life as we believe in him and accept his mercy and respond to his love and obey his commandments. John Bailey once wrote, I'm sure that the bit of the road that needs the most illumination is the fork of the road. I'm sure that the part of the road that needs the most illumination is the fork of the road. This psalmist on his way upward ascending physically and spiritually to Jerusalem is at a fork in the road and he must choose between a lying and deceitful and broken culture or journeying to be with the people of God and the place of God. And in the illumination of this song, he decides to go to Jerusalem. Now, verses 3 and 4 are God talking. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior, and with the burning coals of the broom tree? The warrior is God himself in the song. He answers the psalmist's request, and he says, I'm with you. 
I will rain down my arrows on those who lie to us, and the liar will be burned in the fiery coals of the broom tree. Like the psalmist, we're caught in this web of deceit. And we too must fall to our knees and pray to God to break it. We ask him to remove all the confusion and assume his total control of our lives. We call for his arrows and his coals and justice for those who create a culture of lies. Notice what he says. Woe is me, verse 5. I sojourn in Meshech, and I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Woe is me. Meshech is southern Russia, thousands of miles from Palestine. It was a place that was known for savagery or, or Kedar. It is a, a wandering Bedouin tribe with barbaric reputations on the fringe of Israel. So you might retranslate it this way. Oh, God, help me out. I live amongst the hoodlums and the wild savages. This world is not my home, and I want to journey to Jerusalem. There's a second thing I want you to see. When we say no to the lies of this world, and we journey out of this culture into God's culture, we are called upon to repent. He says in verse 6, Too long has my soul dwell, had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. When we say no to the lies of the world, the first word is the word repentance. Repentance always and everywhere is the first word of the Christian journey climbing to God. You think about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 4. When John the Baptist arrived, what was the sermon? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. One chapter over in Matthew, in Matthew 4, when Jesus arrives preaching his own message, how does his sermon begin? Repent. The kingdom of God has arrived. If you look at the Acts of the Apostles in Acts chapter 2, and it's Peter's first sermon, what is the word that Peter says to those who have witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit of God? Repent and be baptized. Or even at the end of the book, Revelation, the seventh church, they are told to be zealous and to repent. Revelation Three. Now, there is a difference between repentance and cover-up. There's one business executive who was traveling. He traveled a lot. He used this main hotel chain on this particular night in this particular town, in this particular hotel. He was staying the night, and he, well, he got in bed. Have you ever noticed there's no lights in a hotel room? Surely I'm not the only one to ever notice that. There's a reason there's no light in that hotel room. Have you ever been in a major company's hotel room with an overhead bright light, 100-watt light bulb? You find it, write it, I'll go visit it. It doesn't exist. They have little bitty lamps, so 20-watt bulbs, and, and they, they have four layers of curtains so you cannot see. He gets in the bed that evening, it's dark, and the bed 
He feels something, a bug run up his leg. He jumps out of that hotel room bed. He tries to turn on the lights. Of course, he still can't see. He, he finally gets a flashlight, and he looks, and his bed is full of bed bugs. They are everywhere. He goes down, complains. They give him a new bed, a new room, and it has no bugs, and he's happy. And, but he gets home and says, you know, something about that's not right. So he writes this long letter to the CEO of this particular hotel chain and informs the CEO of his experience of the bed bugs and lots of bed bugs. It couldn't, couldn't be a surprise to anybody. And he, just a few days later, very quickly, the letter comes back and the CEO says, that should have never happened. We didn't know about it. We will take drastic measures right now to make sure that this never happens again. Thank you for letting me know. He felt heard. He felt affirmed. Until a little sticky note fell out of the envelope, which had been written to the executive secretary. Just send this guy the bug letter. Just send this guy the bug letter. How many travelers have been in that bed, discovered those bugs who'd written the letter? The bug letter. There is a difference between covering up and repenting. Repentance is a, an emotion, but it's more than an emotion. It is a decision. It's a decision when you and I decide that we have been wrong and imagining that we know the right way. It is a decision that we make when we realize we cannot manage our own lives, that we cannot know what is right. Is a decision to leave a world of lies and the liars of this world is repenting of the decision that maybe, just maybe, we can be our own God. It's repenting of the fact that you thought one day you would have enough money, enough education, enough power or success to control your own life. You don't. Is turning and deciding what God has done through Christ Jesus is really the truth. Psalm 130 is another one of these songs of ascent. It bears even more directly to repentance. The psalmist, as he suffers, realizes he must cry out to God, and then he realizes that he is a sinner and God is holy, and he has no right to speak to God. And he cries out in Psalm 130, Lord, if you should keep up with our iniquities, you know the rest of it, who could stand? And he knows that God is forgiving and that God is merciful, and God is not because sin is no big deal, but in New Testament terms, but because the ultimate Lamb of God has been sacrificed. The one who says to the woman in John 8, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. These people are marching, these Hebrews who were singing these songs of ascent had their whole history set in motion by those who rejected the present world. Abraham, who rejected Mesopotamia because God had called him to journey on. And Moses, who had rejected Egypt because God had called him to journey out. 
to get out of Meshach, to get out of Kadar, too long my soul has dwelt with those who love lies, hate peace, and love war. We don't have to live there any longer. Repentance. It is always the first word of the Christian journey. Repentance. It sets our way traveling up to Jerusalem where things are right. Lord, deliver us from this broken, filthy world. Help us as we, like the pilgrims of ancient Israel, journey on the way to Jerusalem, journey on the way to God. There's some of you here this morning who are sick and tired of the lies of this culture. You are sick and tired of the ways of the wicked. Today, the pilgrims call, even as they sing and make their journey, come and join us. We are ascending. We are singing. We are making our way up to the city of God, the house of God, the worship of God, as you did today, to reorient my life around the right thing. Won't you live on the journey? Won't you leave the tents of Kedar? Won't you abandon Meshach? Won't you get busy going to Jerusalem and sing with us the songs for the journey? Let us pray. In my trouble, I cry out to you, O God. And you have answered me. I live amongst a people with lying lips and deceitful tongues. Too long I have been in Kedar and Meshach. Too long I have been with those who love war. And now, O God, I'll leave it all behind as an immigrant on my way to the city of God. And I sing the song that longs for repentance. Oh God, I pray if there's one here this morning who is tired, sick and tired of dwelling in Kedar, that today she would come or today he would come or, or even, even others who, who want to be a part of a church like this. It's on a journey together, making our way to the highest and holy place in our worship. Pray they'd come and be a part of this people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.